I'm Allie. And I'm Gabby. And we're real life sober BFFs exploring spirituality, social issues, all things sobriety, and staying present in a world full of distractions. Come join us on this journey. We've been waiting for you. technical difficulties you may hear some cutting out with the recording on my end coming at you from vietnam when i'm recording so i do apologize but please continue to listen and enjoy the content hello hello and welcome today we are moving into uh part of the series on discussing whiteness and wellness and some difficult topics so i do want to just start with a disclaimer letting everyone know that there might be some sensitive subject matter and emotional topics if that's something that you're not prepared to dive into right now maybe come back and visit this episode at a later time so joining us today she's a yoga teacher in new york city francine how are you today I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Great weather in New York. It's oh, pleasant. Awesome. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like there's no, there hasn't been any snow on the ground all winter. We're not even getting, we're not getting a winter yet this year. Oh, wow. wow. Okay, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, I've been living in New York for about 21 years now. I'm from, originally from Montreal. So French Canadian, I speak both languages, but I've been in New York. I've been a teacher for eight years, a little over eight years now. Um, I like to combine different modalities to make it a little bit more inclusive, a lot of breath work, a lot of heart opening work. Not sure what else to add. Um, And I really, 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 really enjoy what I do. That's good. Yeah. Um, So also joining us today, we have Sheree, and she is also a yoga teacher, um, and she's trauma-informed, and she's living yoga beyond asana, which is the postures, so, uh, and you studied in Rishikesh, which is where I received my yoga training. Oh, nice. Love it. Uh, and also studied Ayurveda, which is beautiful. Um, how are you today, Sheree? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here and having this conversation. So thank you for the invitation. You're so welcome. Can you share a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Sheree. I am a yoga and meditation teacher at Third Root Community Health Center here in Brooklyn. Um, I also uh, leading uh, different kinds of trauma-informed wellness practices here in New York City. And I'm originally from California, and so I've lived all over. And one of the things that living all over has taught me is how to really have a grounding um, spiritual practice. And so that's why I practice yoga and why I teach. Awesome. So I'm so happy to have you both here today. Um, And again, uh, if you're still listening and you're not ready to dive into some sensitive uh, topics and maybe emotional topics, definitely come back and visit this episode later on and um, 
when you're ready to receive what's going to be shared here. So we're going to go ahead and get into the questions. Um, I want to ask you both uh, how you've experienced whiteness in the wellness space. And we're going to, I'm going to expand on that a little bit because there are some specific topics that I want to address. Um, but what have you experienced as far as like white privilege, exclusion, and maybe the silencing of people of color in the wellness community? Sheree, I'll let you tackle that first. Okay, thank you, Francine. Um, yeah. I think first and foremost, when I think of wellness and specifically on this topic, whiteness and wellness spaces, I'm constantly met with the assumption that there is a, a link and that only white people or whiteness as a construct um, is something that deserves to be centered in wellness. So when you don't embody that in any way or you don't have access and to those types of resources, it's almost as if you're not uh, welcomed authentically into wellness or that your wellness is not prioritized or it's somehow your fault that you are seeking wellness or don't have that in your life as readily as other people. I think personally, um, for me, when I go to yoga spaces particularly, I'm constantly met with uh, assumptions about ability, about um, value, about are, are you lost? You know, not even, I don't lead with credentials. I'm just like, I'm here to take a class or I'm curious about the program. And there's already check marks that people are doing in their head around my, their assumptions of my value or my interest. So I see that constantly from a personal perspective, and then I hear it a lot from my students who don't feel like they're welcomed in wellness spaces, no matter the modality. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that is quite prevalent, and even having these conversations I think is really important because I don't know if mo most people would be open to uh, admitting to some of their um, unspoken biases around wellness and whiteness. So. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I agree with a lot that you said, Shri. Um, I was going to also say, as a teacher, and this happens to me quite a bit, because uh, I usually stand at the front desk as students are being checked in and sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of times you get students that have never come to your class before you know right. and even though you know we use pictures as so people know who who's teaching the class um a lot of the times i get students white students who don't who are not as who don't greet me i'll say hi how are you doing you know and they'll you know look at me like They've never seen me before. They'll look at right. me twice and kind of strange. And, and then I'll walk into the room to teach the class and then it clicks on, oh, you're the teacher. And then, and then that same conversation of ability, how is this class going to be, you know? Right. Um, the assumption of how I'm going to teach. And then usually at the end of the class, that same student that didn't greet me or um, has that look on their face throughout class will come up to me afterwards and be like, that was a great class. And 
in my head, I'm like, I know it was a great class, <laughs> but I'm glad that you agree that I was able to teach you something or you were able to take something from that, from me. Mm, I, I can't agree more. Like there's, um, I sometimes will get asked about where I learned yoga, what, you know, they want my like resume, even yeah. amongst like class, you know, other class attendees. And I'm thinking you don't ask other people here for where they learned or where they were trained. And, and so it's, it's almost this validation process that happens. Um, I also right. too, uh, um, have had students question, well, when is the teacher going to be here? And I'm like, I'm standing in the front of the room prepared for class. And yeah, yeah that happens, unfortunately, quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's almost like being a second class citizen within the world of yoga. Mm -hmm. Or even yeah. in the space, you know, because where I am here in Brooklyn, there's a lot of gentrification happening. And yeah. so uh, there, where I teach has been open for 12 years. And I've been there um, over eight of those 12. And even still, I constantly get um, asked and get tested you know, in ways I don't see other teachers, especially if we're talking about whiteness in wellness centers, I don't see other white teachers being asked. Right. Um, the My sister, my main studio that I teach at, Sacred Brooklyn, we're mm -hmm. in the village and we're also mm -hmm. in uh, Fort Greene. We started in um, Bed-Stuy on Clifton. Bed yeah. And, um, okay. I taught there for eight years now and that was the probably that's one of the first studios that I've never been questioned mainly because mm. it's open very open to people of color and mostly students of color go there mostly yeah. black students go there so it makes a big difference in community it's not until I started branching out and started teaching in other studios that I met I was met with that um, resistance mm. interesting yeah you know or going to or being a student going to and going to studios um, when i first really start practicing being the only black face in the room was uncomfortable but after a while i was like you know what i'm not here for anybody else i'm here to heal myself right and having to like put the blinders on and just do my practice you and know so I think and one most of the, the time you don't make friends no, go on. Yeah. No, I was going to ask if um, you've experienced students coming to you for resource knowledge, like where can I go where I don't have to be othered or fetishized? Because I know I get that a lot from students who have shared with me that they don't feel comfortable coming to a class setting. And so I think one of the things that this question around whiteness shows up is that folks don't tend to pay a lot of attention to the additional emotional labor it takes right. for POC or whatever your um, embodiment is to mm -hmm. come out and be in space together. Right, and being I think comfortable. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of power in collective healing, but unfortunately I feel that that's a hurdle that, you know, people have to 
contend with. I know I do when I think about going to a class that I'm unfamiliar with, the teacher, the space. It's like, do I feel like doing this today? You know? Right. Yeah. Lots, lots of research. Mm. Uh, but, th but there's a few places. There's a, well, Brooklyn is, we're lucky. We live in Brooklyn. There's a yeah. lot of, a lot of black owned studios. Yeah. And that's making a, a big difference, but it, it all, it also comes down to economics. If you don't, if you don't have $25 to pay for a class, every time you want to go to class or, you know, $200 to pay for a membership a month, mm -hmm. it becomes restrictive, you know? But I think that's also one of the things that, you know, we're talking about today as far as the construct of whiteness. Like there is an economic, almost uh, privileged aspect that people think, oh, I can afford these classes. I can afford these yoga pants. I can afford, you know, not thinking yeah. like, that is yeah. so far removed from what I was taught as, you know, the essence of the practice and to see it commercialized and commodified really speaks to, I think, a wider conversation around ancestral practices getting white, whitened, I guess. It's the okay. hijacking of yeah. different cultures and yes. um, taking them and turning them into commercial practice and yeah. leaving behind yeah. all of the substance and the deeper parts that along with the practice. And the purposeful exclusion, right? You know, there's definitely that happening for a lot of different reasons. So to say that that's not happening is really negating a lot of people's experience. Uh, I, I partially, I partially agree, maybe because of the whole uh, community in the uh, in sacred that I found um, mm -hmm. the training that I did there. A lot of us were taking teacher training. The very first training that sacred did, there were seventeen students, and there were three white people out of the mm -hmm. sixteen who took that class, who took that first training. So there's a lot of us in sacred. But now that we've kind of hooked up, we bought this other studio in the city. And this is where we're starting to confront a little bit of the pushback. We didn't have it in Brooklyn. We're having it in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Because the studio was, was owned by actually an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. And having that pushback of, you know, other coming into the studio, they're not quite sure how to wrap their minds around it. Yeah. And I, I definitely think being in Brooklyn is... Uh, a beautiful like moment and an opportunity to see what it can look like, you know, a more inclusive environment in these spaces. Um, I just have to share from my experience, having lived Definitely. in five, five different places that that mm -hmm. is, a, it, it's an exception to the oh, rule. It definitely, um, it definitely is. It and definitely is. I, I just want it to keep growing. Cause I think, in you know the 20 something years i've been practicing yoga almost 13 teaching i definitely have seen an increase in uh, obviously with social media um also coming on board i've seen an increase in widening you know the audience of who mm -hmm. is teaching who is right. attending and who's interested um so that's one of the reasons why i think this conversation and others are so important because it, it is isolating sometimes, especially as a teacher of color, 
unless yeah. you're in places like Brooklyn or, you know, a big city. Right. Right. Agreed. So this Agreed. is a perfect segue into the next question. Cool. Um, talking about socioeconomic factors and exclusion in general, for example, if a black body fits the economic status threshold for inclusion into this space, they, ha they show up, they have the money to attend, they have the pants or whatever, they fit, you know, every other embodiment of what um, this space is, is open for, I guess. Uh, what does that mean for communities where this, where it's not accessible, where wellness services are not accessible, whatever that looks like? Um, and what does it mean for the people who are able to be included in these spaces where the rest of the community isn't feeling welcome? That's a good question. Um, there's not a lot of studios that, um, that offer community classes where you can come in for free and check out a, a, check out a studio. Um, once again, I'm gonna talk about Sacred because that's one of the things that we did every Saturday at noon, we had a free class and those classes were filled with, with, with people of color who couldn't go to class, who couldn't afford to pay the $20 or $25. So it was an opportunity for these students every week to at least get some kind of practice in. But that's rare. It's, it's, it's really rare. It's very, very, very few studios would be willing to like give up a prime spot on a weekend for people who didn't have the money to come in and take a class. Yeah. I, I can certainly agree. I know that one of the things we do where I teach is we have um, affinity classes and we do have community classes that stay on the schedule every week. Um, right. And it, it is a fight sometimes to keep that programming intact, especially as the demographics change in, in the neighborhood. But one of the things I know and one of the biggest reasons why I teach here is because it's part of the mission and vision and values of the space. And that is right. really centering. Um, I don't like to use the word marginalized communities because it's like, to me, a concept text of like over off on you know on the margins but it, it's a reality um and I think it fits for this conversation but centering communities that may not necessarily um have resources or be, or are under resourced from a systemic perspective um yeah. and yeah I think that it's, it's important I think every space should have a sliding scale or what we call justice pricing right. um, I think every space should have um, a, a system or a business model that really supports all the layers of yeah. the, the socioeconomic scale because it's not even just about price sometimes it's about you know ableism and can people yes. get into the space can yes. people feel comfortable in the space right. Um, right so i think that those are also factors to um think about yeah yeah agreed um another one of the studios that i work at shambhala that's in crown heights or pacific mm -hmm. heights as it's been reframed uh, <laughs> we used to have a community class there but barely anybody attended you would get yeah. maybe five or six people so it's also getting the word 
out there that yeah. these these things exist. But the great thing about Shambhala is that they've kept their price low enough that students and people who couldn't really afford to pay $20 a class can pay $15 a class or yeah. $10 a class. You know, your student, yeah. you pay $10 a class, like make it affordable so you can come in and at least get some healing, get some breathing, right. be able to come into your body, you know? So Deanna Green, I'm really grateful for that, you know, Dara Cole at Sacred, so grateful for her as well, that, that they offer these things to the community. Yeah, and I'm sure it's at a, a, a price as well, because, you yeah, know, the, for sure. the, just the economics of being in this city and uh, having a business and make run, you know, paying the, rent. Yeah, you got to pay the rent. <laughs> Paying yeah. the teachers, yeah. and that's another thing I think comes up when thinking about whiteness and wellness, you know, do right. teachers right. get paid, you know, uh, equitably across Te the board? <laughs> teachers get paid <laughs> equitably? I think that's the next conversation. That's a huge <laughs> conversation to have but, about yeah. teachers getting their fair, yeah. fair wages, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I know um, where I teach, we have a, a policy of uh, NOTA, which stands for No One Turned Away uh, nice. for Lack of Funds. And that is like across the board on a lot of our programming um, because we don't just do yoga. You know, we also have um, acupuncture, herbal medicine, and massage. So folks are coming into the space for a lot of different reasons and from a lot right. of different backgrounds. Okay, so that's, that's great. You know, something to note. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned equity because that is what is important. Um, yeah. Having equal access doesn't mean that it's still accessible. You know, if you have like one price, that doesn't mean that it's still accessible for someone else. So yeah. um, it's, that's very, very important. Uh, so, yes, I think that um, everything that you stated is right on point, right on point. Um, so... I think you didn't really have a question, you guys, so you may not be prepared. <laughs> but, um, I wanted to ask about, about accessibility as far as the spaces being available in certain areas. For example, if there is no um, physical structure in a place that someone can get to, let's say they don't have a vehicle, they have to use public transportation. If there's mm -hmm. nothing that's in that center, um, what does that mean for that community to not even have access to a building, even if they had the funds, if they had the, um, the knowledge of classes being available, if, they, if it's not accessible, let's say, because of transportation issues, what does that mean? Hmm. Wow. Is that question answerable? I think a lot, I think there's a lot of, I think sometimes if you can't get to a studio, then DVDs, YouTube, um, other ways of getting Gaia, uh, you know, there's other ways to, to, to access, but a lot of the teachers who are teaching these classes are not teachers of color. Yeah. You know? I do, I do know that I just came across, I know Jessamine Stanley started an app specifically, oh, um, perfect with that in mind because there's so many asks for I can't get to class I really want to take a class with you 
Um, and I'm just like, oh, that's genius. In this way, social media can be helpful and can yes. open the doors of access to um, people who may not, for various and sundry reasons, get to a yeah. class. Um, so, you know, there's that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really research, research, research. Yeah. Spending a lot, like Googling and finding and, you know, YouTube going down that that wormhole because that can turn into you know three hours of watching videos um just right. finding what works you know and it's nice to get into a class but ultimately yoga is really about your own practice it's nice to have a teacher to correct you to make sure that you're doing it right and that can go into you know privates but you can always access it through either social media or online. Yeah, I have to say that, you know, there is so much value I know that I still get from having that teacher student relationship with my teachers. Yeah. So I, I can, on one hand, say digital access is, is available and it's wonderful and I think it's useful and it has a place, but there's also too a lot of value in that direct, um, relationship as well and i agree but so, i think for yeah and i think for some people they have to start somewhere yes absolutely you know, youtube and dvds help you at least get some kind of feedback so when you walk into a space when you're talking to a teacher you have the language yeah, if, absolutely if that's your entry point for sure yeah 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 that's where you've got to go definitely do it yeah yeah. So we've been talking a little bit about social media and digital access and things like that. And um, again, I think this leads a little kind of into our next question, cultural bypassing and uh, lack of acknowledgement for indigenous practices when engaging in ceremony. I've been seeing a lot of like cow ceremonies coming up or people using the word shaman, um, but they, maybe don't have a background really in actually communicating with these cultures that are the keepers of all of these, all this knowledge in a sacred ceremony. Um, what has your experience been maybe seeing some of that happening and as more of these practices become more like mainstream and these things are kind of popping up, um, have you been witness to any of this kind of cultural bypassing and silencing of these indigenous cultures and, and people of culture who hold these, these sacred ceremonies? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll let you, I'll let you go first. <laughs> yes, all the way across the board, you know, like even comedic yoga that's being trademarked now. It's like, it's Egyptian yoga. It's been, yoga has been around even longer than India has been practicing yoga. You know, it's, it's, it's oneness, but we like to label it and take it over and make it ours, which is fine, but we forget where it comes from. And that's so important that we need to, you know, people really need to do their research and most people don't, they just take it at face value and think that this is the way it always was. You know, yoga mats, back in the day, people used to do yoga on towels or just on, just or on the floor. You get, on the earth. Exactly. You get, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get stronger legs. You're more connected than 
using like a $200 mat or $80 mat, you know? But it becomes a status symbol, these things. Yeah, um, I think, oh, go ahead. Too expensive. Oh, keep going. Yeah, take it. Take I, it from I, me because I can talk <laughs> about this forever. <laughs> I think this is part of, of the biggest reason why I wanted to have this conversation is the cultural bypassing piece. Because for me, it is like so critical to address it and it's hard to address it when it happens. I guess because I've seen and practiced yoga in other places outside of the US, it is mm -hmm. so critical to point out that there are more people around the world that may look more like me than yeah. folks here in the US who are yeah. practicing on these $200 mats. And there's, there's nothing to be, well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's a whole lot to be said about that. But I think the cultural bypassing hurts from my experience when it's whitewashed as if these practices are something that was created by a white person in a yoga studio in the US. And there's this whole narrative that I've heard in teacher trainings where certain words are mispronounced or there would be other like American Indian students saying that is not how you say this, this that's not correct. And the facilitator saying you have it wrong. And I'm like, you're telling someone who's this is their lineage that and, they and have their language and their language right and so yeah. um it it just is so disheartening to see that and i know that there are other folks um i'll let them tell their stories around how this happens and how especially teachers of color get shut down in those conversations yes. and in those spaces when there might be some pushback like yo no that's yeah. incorrect. Yeah. And so this right. like cultural bypassing and this whitewashing of, of an ancient practice just gets taught over and over and over. And it's like, no one stops to question why, you know, why aren't you questioning what you're learning? And like, you know, you said right. earlier, yeah. do your research. It's, it's maddening really. Yeah. Well, or just like this whole conversation around, yeah, well, just like this whole conversation now that's happening about n saying namaste, mm. how that is being whitewashed. And mm -hmm. do, you, do you end a class with a namaste or should I do it? Or am I, am I, by, by saying it, am I enabling? Am I whitewashing? Am I bypassing? Yeah. And I think those are things yeah. that, you know, are critical questions to keep asking because there are certain um, situations and conversations I've been in where folks have asked me about being a black person in, in, in this country. And I'm like, I don't speak, this isn't a monolith. I don't speak for all black people. Yeah. I can speak from my experience. And yeah. so to just keep asking the questions and keep having the conversations and at a meaningful way, not just like superficial, like, you know, we all are one, we all get along. Like, no, let's start no. dismantling some of this, these systems. Cause this is only, I think a good way to start, you know, making effective change. 
we can't keep having these little, you know, superficial surface level, we're all one conversations, because that to me is harmful, actually. Right, right. The, the problem with yoga and studios is that a lot of people go in for exercise we don't they don't see yoga as anything deeper than the postures that they're doing and trying to perfect and yoga is not about perfection or looking right or doing it right it's at the moment being in the moment and not bypassing and pushing past your feelings and that can be a lot of cultural bypassing as well by just like, oh, I'm just exercising. And it's like, no, you're, it's a little bit more than that. That's one of the challenges I think we face now with social media and yoga. Um, yes. Is that it's become so cool to yes. like hit a cool pose yes. or whatever. Be by the becomes, beach in your little bathing suit. Yes. It uh-huh. becomes or, or, do, or doing the hardest pose. Yeah. Or it's doing a the hardest pose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, t- I tend to talk about that in class that, you know, it's, I call it yoga porn. It's more than this, this, these images that we see. Once you get past your eyes, it becomes more about your heart and to look more, to turn it more inwards than to always be looking out at what other people are doing on their mats. You know, you pay $25, be here for you. Don't worry about what Sue's doing on the next mat and if she can do it better than you. Cause if you're going to do that, then go home and, and look at it on, you know, flip through yoga journal or, you know, throw on a DVD and watch, you know, Rodney Yee do his thing. But you know, it's, you're not, you're not here for anybody else. And I think that's one of the ways the whole system is being used to exclude and also center what is seen as beautiful. You know, um, I've given talks before about how much I've grown to dislike yoga on Instagram because, well, for a, a lot of reasons, but one of the things that I see as harmful and triggering for a lot of students is that there's this dialogue and narrative around, well, I can never do that or be like that. So therefore, I can't do yoga. And exactly. One of the things, and I think that's on purpose because again, there's this machine behind this business and they yep. want it to be practiced by a certain demographic. And to oh, say sure. that that's not the case is like, have you looked at social media? Um, but I know I've had students come to class because they've gotten hurt trying to mimic or replicate what they've seen online, not giving credence to the fact that a lot of times these are dancers or gymnasts or there's there's a whole backstory to why that person is in that pose and that pose may not even be safe. So there's none of that. Hyper flexible. Right. Right. And then they're like, Oh, I, you know, tore my ACL or I did, you know, well, yeah, it was like, okay. well, for, first of all, you need to warm up before you even get into these postures. It's not about standing on your head, really, or, you know, doing the perfect crow. Yeah. If you don't have a strong core or if you're not breathing properly, you're just going to, you're going to end up hurting yourself down the road, yeah. if not immediately. It's all, all about. Or why? 
Yeah, why you want to get into the pose anyway? Because you want to look good on Instagram. Right. Is it just for the gram or is it, does that pose speak to you for something else? And this is why I always say I live yoga beyond the poses because that is such a small part of the practice. And I think that the more I teach that and the more I talk about that, people are like, oh, what do you mean by that? I'm like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is just a small part. But it's the biggest yeah. part that's been pushed. And that's when people think, oh, well, that's not for me. I don't have yeah. access to that. Right. So along the lines of that, you mentioned the machine and targeting certain demographics and um, making yoga a business, making wellness a business in general, because they're, it's being marketed to a certain demographic because they have the funds to put back into this machine, right? Right. Um, and, and so... I just wanted to, to talk briefly about um, Stanley Fiasco with Yoga Journal cover. That was right after I subscribed to Yoga Journal, and I received a Jessamine Stanley cover. And there was a cover with a white woman that went out to a whole different sector of people. And so right. showcasing a queer, fat, black woman on the cover and just making that be, hey, this is also the standard. <laughs> like, this is also normal. This is also what yoga looks like. Uh, they decided to split the cover. And I've never been done in that capacity before. Apparently it was like, I just got into yoga journal at this point. But um, it was kind of eye-opening <laughs> for me as someone who had just gotten into yoga in general to see um, that this system had already overtaken even just this, this culture of yoga in the United States when I had I had the perception that yoga was not about that. And I was really, really surprised to see that it had already kind of been um, eaten alive by this consumerism, capitalism culture, and the systems that are in place to um, to marginalize certain demographics. Well, I do know that um, when I attended the Accessible Yoga Conference here in NYC, there was a representative from Yoga Journal there to speak specifically to this, um, this Ooh, what did controversy. They say? And, 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 what, and, and what was the discussion? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing I will say is that splitting the covers is actually not an uncommon thing in a magazine world. Yeah, they did that a lot. So, yeah, but the way they did it and the fact that Jessamine Stanley was not the only yoga teacher of color that they've done this to, uh, that's why there is also, besides it just being atrocious, why it got so much traction because this wasn't an isolated incident. Not the first time. True. No, no. And there were, you know, teachers of color there, colleagues of mine who were speaking up for you did this to me as well, you asked me to be on the cover, you've given me this, you know, highlighted spot, got everyone on board, and then you switched it up. So yeah. of course, there was, you know, we're going to do better. We're here to learn. We're here to listen. We're here, like all of that. But yeah, to hear that, you know, you just got yoga journal and this happened is disheartening. Um yeah, I also do have to say I've been I, I used to be a subscriber to Yoga Journal and it's a magazine. They're there to sell something and mostly it's advertising and clothing. 
you know, after after a year of flipping through that magazine, when the next year came on, it was the same nonsense all over again, just with different covers. And for me, once I've read it once, I was like, I'm good. I don't need to read it again. And I, I let go of my subscription. But that was years before they start putting, you know, people of color on the, on the cover. And back in the day, it was even difficult to find a man on the cover. Right. You know, so it excludes against black people, but it also excludes against men because men practice. Why don't we put more men on the cover? Yeah. No, I'm just being devil's advocate here. I'd like to. Yeah, I don't, I don't have um, a real strong affinity to yoga journal just from a personal experience of being asked to do an article and putting in the work, submitting the article and then nothing, you know? Um, so wow. already I just am like, you rely on the labor, but you don't trust the leadership. And there is an anti-blackness sentiment that I got out of that experience for me. So right. that's just, I, you know, to see what they did, recently over the last year and a half to colleagues um, who are amazing yoga teachers and beautiful ambassadors to the practice. Um, it, it, it just seemed like they only did that split cover when there was a teacher of color where they give people a choice. Do you want this cover or do you want this cover? Yeah. I've, got e I've, I've got the emails with the covers and being like, which cover do you like cover a or cover B? Yeah. You know, I think, it's, I agree. I also think, though, that they want the following of these teachers, social media yeah. and groups and, and you know, um, you know, yeah. fans, I, I, I guess, and students. And, but, and controversy sells. Yeah, but they really prefer to keep their aesthetic the way it yeah. has been. Because who, who buys that magazine? You, you and I both know they do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. And when it comes down to it, if it's controversial, people are going to pay attention. And, you, and you know, nobody really buys magazines anymore. So yeah. they can... I didn't think that they bet on it being this controversial. <laughs> they, they had to come out of pocket some money. Yeah, uh, I think it backfired done. a little bit. What they were yeah. Oh, of course. Of course yeah. it backfires, but it gets people talking about Yoga Journal. This is true. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Here so, we are. Um, <laughs> so we won't give them any more free advertising. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Granted. Granted. Um, so on to the next question, and this is something that I, in another podcast, also talking about um, healing spaces, is self-segregation the answer to creating spaces for people of color to be able to come and show up and feel comfortable and not feel like they're fighting against fitting in a mold or having to do additional um, emotional labor just to show up and be on their mat and practice. And um, not just for people of color, but also for people of color who are part of the LGBTQ plus community um, and creating these spaces within the black community, you know, just to make room for people who don't fit this mold in the spaces where um, they've kind of hijacked the wellness part of the space. If it gets people on the mat, yes. 
Yes. Yeah. I think I've, it's very important. Yeah. I've been in on both sides of this conversation because, you know, holding space for POC classes, holding space for LGBTQ classes, holding space for abundant body classes. I'm constantly met with backlash of that's anti, you know, reverse racism. That's this, you know, I should be able to come to a class. And I just, I think the biggest thing that I have as a response is by these gatherings happening, they are not taking away from your access in any way, shape or form. I think there's behind that ask a sense of entitlement to I should be able to go anywhere I want and you have to let me in. But Mm -hmm. that's not the case for someone like me. I'm not welcome anywhere. So to say it's reverse racism or to say that those spaces aren't sacred or don't have use is foolish to me because to be able to practice without being under the white lens Mm -hmm. is so very critical, not just for my own practice, but I know for a lot of people to be able to let the mask down, even if it's just for an hour and a half or a couple hours you know, and people will say, well, why don't you just practice at home? You can do that as well. But there is yeah. nothing like being in community. And yeah. we don't ever, you know, nix anyone else's need for community, whether it be a religious community or social community. Why is it such a problem for me to hold space for my community? Agreed. Yeah, I definitely agree. And sometimes when you, it's, it's, and it's a good, starting point a good jumping off point when you come into a room and you see other people who look like you and you're able to be comfortable and be yourself then you can walk into any room and be yourself yeah it's it's just it's critical it's important and i think it's um a necessity for a lot of people And it's not to say that you can't also go into mixed spaces, but I don't think anyone has the right to begrudge someone for creating or looking for space that feels safe for them. You you don't get, you don't get that right to tell me what I can and cannot do to make myself feel safe and be in my practice within my community. Yeah. Period. I, I, I do have a few colleagues who refuse to teach regular studio classes with mixed, uh, mixed races. Where they just want to teach people who are different color, you know, people of color, LGBTQ. Um, I, uh, wow, having trouble speaking English now, but you know, different bodied. It's really important to let them know that, you know, just because you are, you know, you don't have your legs doesn't mean you can't do yoga. Yoga is more than asana Mm -hmm. and making it as inclusive as possible around those who who are familiar, who are, who look like them. It's very, very important to walk into a room and be like, oh, I can be comfortable here. Oh, I don't have to hide. Oh, I don't have to spend half of my time in child's pose because I'm scared that people are staring at me or they think that I'm different and I shouldn't be there. Yeah. 
I think given the fact that a lot of my um, classes are trauma-informed based, I think for me, it's, it's what I lead with because you don't know what someone's journey is. Right. It's not something that folks have to disclose or put on a, you know, check-in sheet. So right. it's, it's how you approach, you know, classes that I think I wish that more teacher trainings included of just opening up the awareness to you, you're not going to have 20 something year old cisgendered white skinny females in your classes all the time. And if you do, exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. But I do know that a lot of teachers, especially a lot of young teachers don't even have the language, even if like, right. let's just use me as the example. If I walk into class, sometimes they lose their minds. They don't know what to do. And I don't say I'm a yoga teacher. I just watch and I'm here to witness like languaging they're using, um, mm -hmm. cues that they're using that's very not accessible or right. it's just horrible. It's horrible. Or no, so, or, or no, or no cueing at all. Or hands on. Like that's a big thing for me. Like don't touch people without consent, please. Yeah. Stop yeah. doing that. And I hope that yeah. folks who listen to this or who watch this will take away, if there's anything that you can take away from this, if you are in a class and a teacher has crossed a boundary with you, please, please, please seek, you know, resources for that. Cause that's not supposed to be happening. And I want teachers to stop, please. Yeah. And, and on the other, and on the other side of that, as a black teacher, Sometimes you don't want to touch people because people sometimes get the wrong impression. A lot of white students do not want to be touched by somebody of color. And you or get they want that. to be touched too much. Yeah, there's both ends of the spectrum. But from yeah. my experience, I've found that there's that. You, you, you can kind of almost feel that wall go up. You know, so I've learned how to a cue or if I see them really coming into a bad place, I'll go to them and speak to them and yeah. cue them that way without putting my hands on them. I've learned how Absolutely. not to touch Absolutely. because some people get very, very, very offended by it. Yeah. Like, what do you mean I'm doing it wrong? What do you mean I'm doing it wrong? That long, but uh, in my experience, in been like a hospital setting. So I haven't had um, a lot of the same experiences that you have had. And, and, but I do know that touching and, and cueing in certain ways um, can really change the entire energy of the practice. And it can make or break yeah. someone's practice, how you are, um, how you're leading, how they are experiencing yes. that in their body and how they're taking the words that you're saying can totally change the entire dynamic of their practice for them. So I think it's beautiful that you guys are sharing that. Right. Also that you're leading practices that are bringing that to those people that um, might not have found that somewhere else. And I, I want to say too, that I always hope that, you know, someone's first yoga experience isn't something that turns them off to yoga forever because there is so much more to find. So this is one thing that I do struggle with, with the, um, like all those different yoga things, like goat yoga and, and yoga with cats or whatever. Um, 
I struggle with it with it with one way being like, oh, why would you do that? But also, hey, if this is someone's first experience with yoga and they love it and they end up going back and diving deeper into the practice, then maybe it serves a greater purpose, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if if I were to take my first yoga experience, um, I it, it's amazing that I'm even still practicing because it was <laughs> all the things you don't do, um, all the things that should not be done in a class. It, it all the elements were there. Um, so I I appreciate that there's more conversation and more education around boundaries and around all the things that just in society we should. <laughs> be thinking more about, you know, access and openness and consent and all the things and just get dealing with each other on a human level. You know, I'm hoping that people will start being more mindful of. Right. But there also has to be boundaries around some of those out, uh, out of the box yoga, like, you know, yoga with alcohol or especially yoga with alcohol. Those two don't mix ever. Yeah. Maybe a beer. Maybe a beer after yoga. You drink, but a beer and yoga. I I, I think it, it it leads to it leads to injury. Reads at least to a place cause that can be a bad place to be. As someone in recovery, I think that when you're marketing something like that is supposed to be holistically. Um, empowering and you know when you incorporate alcohol for someone who's in recovery it gives me it's enabling it tells me oh you know what I can do yoga and drink and it's totally okay yeah and uh, I think that's a dangerous precedent to set for people who are getting into it's it's, it's a it's a incredibly slippery slope an incredibly slippery slope yeah you know even even CBD for some people and yoga it's not a good idea yeah. Or I, I know students who, especially here in New York, who are like, you know, Shri, what do you think about this, like, naked yoga? And I'm just like, you know, folks are going to find a niche, a niche, and, like, capitalize on it. Um, but, yeah, that's not a safe environment for a lot of people. And I don't really get the intention behind it. Oh, naked Oh, naked yoga? Yeah. Um, I do have, I, I do know a few people who, who do teach it. And I guess their intention is to be comfortable in your own skin. And they're not mixed classes. They're women only. It was candlelit, so you're not seeing other bodies. But also just acceptance of our bodies without, you know, the yoga pants on. Because, you know, a lot of these yoga pants, and I was wearing a pair today. The 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 ones that suck you in, which are they're 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 fine for a half an hour, but more than that, it's just <laughs> whoa, too much. Yeah, to have to fit into this certain mold, you know, I don't need them. That they're they're great looking pants. That's the only the only problem is is that, you know, I love the pants. I just don't like the fact that they they push my belly in too much. I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of the word this morning, this evening. Thank you. Yeah, compression <laughs> pants. They're the worst. And, 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 and they're everywhere now. They're the most popular pants out there. What happened mm-hmm. to regular yoga pants? Well, that's a, another business. That's a whole other conversation. 
like oh, oh, multiple. Yeah, they, 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 like the yoga can turn into like this conversation can turn into like ten other conversations very very easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And talking about other conversations and things like that, I would like to invite any listeners or people viewing this video. If you have something to add to this conversation, please feel free to um, to to send your thoughts. We'd love to continue this conversation. You know, outside of the podcast. Um, you'll have access to all of the social media. I'll also be including contact information for Francine and Sheree if you'd like to speak with them directly. And uh, this has been an amazing discussion. I am so grateful that you both decided to uh, join me on the podcast. And um, before we go, I just wanted to ask if there were anything, anything else that you would like to add to this conversation, any other final thoughts that you might have before we sign off. Do yoga. I was just gonna say. Your- <laughs> I was just gonna say. Just be, be in your practice, and Check if you don't, both of us out. Find us. Yeah. And take our classes. Yeah. <laughs> here, there's two black yoga teachers right here. Yes. Three actually. Yes. So nice to meet you both. Thank you, and I do hope yeah, that nice the conversation to continues. Thank you. I do. Thank you. So we want to thank Shree and Francine for joining us today and invite you to follow them. You can find Shree on Facebook at facebook.com slash S-H-R-I dot D-I-E-H-L. You can find Francine on Instagram at B-K-L-Y-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. More information can also be found in the show notes, mysoberbff.com. Please follow us on Instagram at mysoberbff and engage in conversation, continue this discussion. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much.